Turn your Bible, if you would. Our main passage is going to be in 1 Timothy chapter 6. Our main scripture in 1 Timothy chapter 6. And as you're turning there, a man went, was on trial. Eight hours into his trial, he decides to plead guilty. The judge demanded, why didn't you do that at the beginning of the trial and save the court's time and the taxpayer's money? The man says, well, until I heard all the evidence, I thought I was innocent. Amen. But this morning I want us to focus on the benefits of giving. Now there's two subjects that many do not group together. And that is giving and joy. Giving and joy. That's because too many give out of obligation. They think they have to give. They, they feel obligated to give when they do give. And many give grudgingly. You know, once they give, they, they're, not, they're not happy that they gave. But we need to understand that both giving and joy come from the same place. And that's from the heart. Amen? Giving and joy both come from the heart. Proverbs 15, 15 tells us, But he who is a, of a merry or a joyful heart has a continual feast. I want you to think about that. God says, He who is of a merry or joyful heart has a continual feast. God calls it a feast. Proverbs 17, verse 22. A merry or joyful heart does good like medicine. God is telling us that a joyful heart can actually cause what? Healing. Has healing properties. It's a joyful heart that allows us to approach each day as a never-ending feast of enjoyment. That's what God had in mind when he said it's a, a person of a joyful heart has a continual feast. Every day is a feast of enjoyment to that individual. A positive attitude can only come from a joyful heart. Amen? A positive attitude can only come from a joyful heart, and it's a joyful heart that brings healing. Body, soul, and spirit. Amen. We serve a triune God, God the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. We were made in the image of God. We are also a triune being, body, soul, and spirit. And a joyful heart, that merry, joyful heart, brings healing to our entire being, body, soul, and spirit. Amen. A joyful heart heals our emotions, it heals our pains. 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verses 6 and 7. Listen to what God says. But this I say, he who sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. And he who sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. So let each one give as he purposes where? In his heart. Amen. As he purposes in his heart, not grudgingly or of necessity, out of obligation. 
For God loves a cheerful giver. Amen? God loves a cheerful giver. Literally, in the Greek, it's translated, the cheerful one who gives, God loves. The cheerful one who gives, God loves. God loves a cheerful giver. That's because giving and joy, again, both come from heart. They're heart things. When the heart is right with God, when the heart is full of joy, generosity abounds. Generosity flows from God's children. Those in need then get their needs met. Amen? Ministries in our church get funded. But most importantly, through all that, lives get changed through Christ. Amen? That's the important thing I want us to understand. 1 Timothy chapter 6. Let's start at verse 6. Now, godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into this world, and it is certain we can carry nothing out. And having food and clothing, with these we shall be content. But those who desire to be rich fall into temptation and a snare, and into many foolish and harmful lusts which drown men in destruction and perdition. For the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil, for which some have strayed from the faith in their greediness, and pierce themselves through with many sorrows. Skip down to verse 17. Command those who are rich in this present age not to be haughty, nor to trust in uncertain riches, but trust in the living God. He who gives us richly all things to enjoy. Let them do good, that they be rich in good works, ready to give, willing to share, storing up for themselves a good foundation for the time to come, that they may lay hold on eternal life. The first thing I really want us to see this morning, I want us to see generosity's rewards, the rewards that we get for being generous. Now, in our lifetime, more often, we've been the recipient of generosity more so than givers. Amen? Most of us have enjoyed others' generosity more than they have enjoyed ours. You know, there's many times in life when circumstances arise that leave us in need. Amen? Many times, many situations, many circumstances in life that leave us in need. Most of you are aware of what me and my family are going through. And thank God for each and every one of you. Amen. Many times we find ourselves in need. Times where there's just too much month at the end of the money. Amen. <laughs> too many bills coming in and the money's already gone out. Times when we didn't have enough money to buy groceries. And then the doorbell rings and a familiar face is standing there with bags full of groceries. Or maybe the doorbell rings, you open the door, there's no one standing there, but there's bags full of groceries. Amen? Times when, you know, maybe our car broke down, the car's acting up, and we had no other way to get back and forth from work, and 
That's when a family or, or a friend hands us their car keys and says, enjoy. Or they offer to come and, and pick us up every morning, take us to work, and every afternoon pick us up and bring us back home. Or the time that we needed to move and they offered their time. Or maybe their pickup truck. They grabbed one end of the sofa while you grabbed the other end. And they helped you move all of your things. These are all beautiful examples of generosity. Amen? Generosity. Generosity we think about it, it's that virtue that makes us feel like really, really warm and good inside. It's that virtue that makes us smile deep down inside. That's generosity. But it's also something so rare that it leaves a lasting impression on our hearts. It leaves an, a lasting impression on our very soul when we are the recipients of true generosity. We never forget those bags of groceries that, that fed our family. We never forget that car that helped us get back and forth to work so that we could continue to support our family. But here's the important point that I want us to see. The joy that you felt, the impression that was left on your heart when you received that generosity, they are doubled on the other end as the giver. Amen? Think of that joy that you felt when you received someone else's generosity. It is doubled on the other end when you are the giver of generosity. Amen? It's twice as much fun to offer up your car. It brings twice as much joy to give groceries to that family in need than it does to receive that same generosity. Double. Listen, this isn't just good philosophy. It's a biblical truth. Amen? Look at Acts chapter 20. Skip down to verse 33. Listen to what the Apostle Paul said. He said, I have coveted no one's silver or gold or apparel. Yes, you yourselves know that these hands have provided for my necessities and for those who were with me. I have shown you in every way by laboring like this that you must support the weak. And remember the words of the Lord Jesus that he said, It is more blessed to give than to receive. Amen. The Apostle Paul. I believe when he, was, when he was talking here, he held out his worn and calloused hands so that everyone can see. So that he could show everyone that he lived Jesus' commandments. He didn't just teach them. He didn't just say they were, they were great philosophy. 
He lived the very words that Christ taught and shared. Amen? It is more blessed to give than to receive. I want to note something here. This is the only place that you're going to see that in Scripture. It's not repeated anywhere in the Gospels. This is the only place in the book of Acts. Jesus said it is more blessed to give than to receive. It brings more joy to give than to receive. It brings more healing to give than to receive. That's generosity's rewards. Amen? Next, I want us to see generosity's roots. Now, remember, as I stated earlier, true generosity is, is actually kind of rare. And that's because it comes from the, where it comes from. Where does generosity come from? What is the root of generosity? The root of generosity is contentment. And the reason it's rare, it's hard to find people who are truly content. When they share their time, their money, their things with you, those that are content, they don't, you know, they don't feel a sense of sacrifice when they give. They don't feel a sense of loss when they give. When they reach into their wallet and they, they give you their money, they don't sit there and calculate in their head what they have left. They just give freely. They don't feel that sense of loss. And when you receive their generosity, that feeling that you get of humility is never what they ever intended. Amen? That is not their intent. The true giver never gives to make someone feel guilty. They always give because they're content. They always have the greater joy between the two. They understand those benefits of generosity. They understand that joy, that, that joy that is doubled as the giver. They have the attitude, look, I can't afford not to give. That's the person who is content, truly content, truly generous. They understand that in their heart, it is better to what? Give than it is to receive. They understand Christ's commandment. This is giving that brings joy out of contentment. Not the kind of giving that brings dread. Oh, I wish I, I didn't give that much. Not the kind of giving that, that makes us feel pressured. Giving out of obligation. Oh, everyone else is giving. I, I, I better pitch in. Or the Bible tells me that I have to give. Right? Everybody else is walking up to the collection plate. Maybe I better. Obligation. It's not the kind that makes us feel guilty. It's the kind that brings joy 
and it brings healing. Henry Ford, everyone is familiar with Henry Ford, I, I believe. You know, Ford Motor Company, the founder. Well, Henry Ford shared a story when he was invited to be part of a, uh, of a grand opening of a, of a new orphanage. Knowing this was a great cause, Mr. Ford wrote a check to the curator for the generous amount of 2,000 pounds. This orphanage was being opened in Ireland. So he made a generous donation of 2,000 pounds. The next day, the local newspaper printed a front-page story about his generous giving. However, they made a slight mistake and mistyped the $2,000 donation as, or 2,000 pound donation as 20,000 pounds. The curator immediately called Mr. Ford, apologized, and assured him that he would contact the paper and have the paper print a correction. Mr. Ford, feeling bad, told him that would not be necessary, and he immediately wrote another check for 18,000 pounds. He told the curator he had just one request. He stated, I would like an inscription placed on the orphanage that would read, I was a stranger, and you took me in. Amen. I was a stranger, and you took me in. Next, I want us to consider generosity's reproach. We've seen its rewards. We've seen its uh, uh, roots, where it comes from. Now let's consider generosity's reproach. Now, going back into 1 Timothy, in chapter 6, we started reading at, at verse 6. But the thought actually begins in verse 3. So let's go back to 1 Timothy chapter 6. Let's back up to verse 3. Now, in these verses, the Apostle Paul is going to give us some warning about false teachers. And he describes them to us so that, so that we can easily spot them, so that we can easily recognize false teachers. 1 Timothy chapter 6, skip back up to verse 3. He says, if anyone teaches otherwise and does not consent to wholesome words, even the words of our Lord Jesus Christ, and to the doctrine which accords with godliness, he is proud, knowing nothing, but is obsessed with disputes and arguments over words from which come envy, strife, reviling, evil suspicions, useless wranglings of men of corrupt minds and of destitute of truth who suppose, and I want you to pay attention to the second part of verse 5, who suppose that godliness is a means of gain. From such, withdraw yourself. They suppose. They teach that godliness is a means of gain. Now, I want you to understand that that is not the same thing as what we read in verse 6, that godliness with contentment is great gain. These false teachers teach that godliness is a means to great gain. In other words, they teach that you can get rich from religion. Does that sound like what the Bible says? No. But they will quote enough scripture, 
They will take Scripture out of context and make it sound like, yeah, that's exactly what the Bible's telling us. That's the prosperity preachers. There's a lot of them on TV. On the prowl. Amen? They're very gifted. Some of you may have heard of the Hillsong Church. Started in Australia. Massive church. Mega church. They had a documentary that came out recently. That just, it just breaks your heart. To see the corruption. What do they teach? Prosperity. Prosperity preachers. They prey on the church people and they try to guilt them. Send out of obligation. Guilt them into sending money. You send money, then God will make you rich. And they deceive a lot of people. And they hurt a lot of people. Chase people out of church. Chase people away from Christ. They manipulate and change the word of God in order to deceive people to give them money, to send money out of obligation. And they've become extremely wealthy doing this. Why? Because they suppose, they teach that godliness is a means of gain. Not that godliness with contentment is great gain. Listen, guilt is never a motive to give and should never be a motive to raise money either. Amen? Even in the church, we should never try to guilt somebody into raising funds. The Bible never says that God loves a guilty giver, does it? Amen? Praise God for that. God does not love a guilty giver. It said that God loves a cheerful, a joyful, a content giver. Amen? It's exactly what God is looking for. Now, this is the thought process that the Apostle Paul was setting the groundwork in verse 6. Godliness is a means of great gain. When it is accompanied by contentment. Amen? We have to be content. What does it mean to be content? Content is freedom from turmoil. Contentment is freedom from fear. Contentment is the root of everything that we're talking about here. Contentment is being happy with who we are. And what we have been blessed with. It's being happy with who we are and what God has given us. Amen? We need to understand sometimes God gives and sometimes God takes away. We can't just be joyful and happy only when God is giving. That can be happiness because happiness is based on circumstances but not joy. Joy, contentment, generosity, they all come from the same place. And that's from the heart. Amen? 
2 Corinthians chapter 12. Skip down to verse 9. God puts it another way here. The Apostle Paul, he said, And Jesus said to me, My grace is sufficient for you, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. Amen? That's just another way of putting the same thing we're talking about. My grace is sufficient for you. The grace of Jesus Christ is sufficient for all of us. That's where contentment comes from. Amen? Understanding that God has promised that His children will never starve or beg food. Amen? He will always supply. Always supply our needs. And we understand that. And understand that His grace is sufficient. We understand that contentment truly means enough. It means we have enough. Whatever we have. Amen? It's enough. That's contentment. Content with who I am and what I have and understand that that is enough. You see, God has blessed each and every one of us so that we can be a blessing to someone else. Amen? Let's take that to heart. God has blessed us so that we can be a blessing to someone else. 